I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. Yeah, I because I look at certain franchises, and I know some of it is just where this is a money maker. We're not going to take any risks whatsoever. I, I wonder about that because when something is a money maker, they don't want to risk turning anyone off. And when franchises now are making movies that cost a hundred million dollars, there's a lot of pressure to make not only that hundred million dollars meant, but we act as if like the one billion dollar line is the difference between something being successful and something being a failure. And that's an unreasonable level for anything that anyone everything has to have Jaws level success or it's considered a flop. And because of that we pour like two hundred million dollars into just advertising this and it ups the stakes even more. So the odds of creating something that is quirky and interesting, like the original Terminator is not for everybody. I mean, there's some people who just don't want gore in their movie or they don't want something where Arnold Schwarzenegger kills people. The same thing with, you know, Alien. Alien is a scary movie and then not everyone is into scary movies, but now we've kind of hit this point where everything has to be a four quadrant movie. You're like, well, we can't have the part of, you know, where people are getting cut apart by this alien with acid for blood. So how do we make this a PG 13 movie? How do we have more jokes in there? How do we have a funny animal or sidekick character? And it just, it takes away its identity and pretty soon everything feels samey because there is a formula for, I mean, Marvel has kind of figured out how to make a good four quadrant movie. But the problem is, is that, it does give their movies a sense of sameness. And there's only a few of those movies where the artist director's fingerprints really stand out, whether it's Taika Waititi because he has a certain sense of humor or James Gunn. But even then it's still married and safer to this idea of the four quadrant movie. I think if anybody's doing it right, it's Marvel. Yeah. Marvel does like, it. Yeah. Big Hollywood movies are going to exist. And if they're going to exist, I'd like Marvel to be the ones doing them. Yeah. But I mean, even Disney and stuff like Star Wars, I don't think, I don't know. I, I, even then, even though I like the Marvel movies after 20 of them, I start to feel the formula and I kind of want something that makes me uncomfortable in some ways or challenges me in some ways. And even though Marvel movies have an emotional core and Marvel movies are, you know, well-written and incredibly well-produced and the special effects look amazing, um, there is this kind of I, I, a sense of them being producer movies rather than director movies or writer movies. And I didn't feel it for a long time, but I think maybe 20 is the magical number of something you can see in a series, especially because they do make special efforts to tie into each other. And here's where I'm probably going to say something very unpopular. Um, I know it, I'm just sort of, I, I've been stewing on it since uh, the conversation that we had with Tobias Panchin about this. I think Martin Scorsese is right <laughs> about, and about about the idea that there's a separation. Roller I mean, coasters. I think what people are objecting to is that there's a lack of vocabulary about what we're talking about. Hmm. I mean, and people just get angry at 
the classification of what I he's think, saying. I there's think, cinema. I think there's, there's a lot of people who completely misunderstood what Scorsese was saying, and he wasn't taking a shot. No, he, he was, wasn't. He was putting that kind of movie in a different category, which is fine because it's yes. a different category of movie. Yes, I, nobody's right, going like, right. to be standing in front of a theater and like trying to decide whether to go see The Irishman or go see Infinity War. Exactly. You're attracting two different audiences, and and you know I watch and love both of those movies, but I don't expect the same experience between them i just maybe maybe as my rebuttal to sort of what you're talking about the sameness and um that the sameness that in marvel movies is i'll take the last month as an example of three releases of of movies in the current era um the first being netflix Zack snyder's army of the dead okay the second being the chris pratt tomorrow war and the third being black widow and I and I've watched all all three of them, and I I think they range from not great to okay, which is not saying very much. But they're a type of movie that doesn't need to be spectacular; it just needs to be of a certain scale, right? It needs yeah. to have a certain pomp and circumstance to it. I will say, out of those three, Black Widow is the most watchable. So the formula works in that respect. But you're right; if you've seen it before, as we have. Um, you're like, well, it's nothing special, but it certainly is better than the. I'll, I, I will take it as better than the the uh, the Chris Pratt, the Adam McKay ripoff of Aliens, which is essentially what mm-hmm. that movie is, um, or the Zack Snyder ripoff of Aliens, which is essentially what that movie is. I'll take that pick Black Widow out of both of those uh, over over either of those. Oh yeah, they so, just they get talented writers, they get talented directors and but stuff. I'm, but what I think I'm it, saying at, at yeah. the very least, Mike, what I'm saying is is what what I have seen. Just it, it only it doesn't have to stand up to history. It doesn't have to make it on the the top AFI's top one hundred list. No, it just has to be better than the competition. And for at least this, you, you summer, sound like that's the same argument about when you're running from a lion. You just have to be faster than the other person. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I, I know that's talk... not. A, that's not a very high bar. I, I I concede that it's the opposite of a high bar. It's about not being the lowest bar. <laughs> And I, and again, I don't have a Least problem worst. with that. Yeah. Is that I, I like Marvel movies, and again, it's if every movie I saw was done exactly like a Scorsese movie, um, then I would probably feel the same way about that. A lot of it is just there's a lack of variety. It feels like it's like I oh, yeah. like yeah. I like macaroni and cheese, but if I had macaroni and cheese for every single meal, and every time I went to a restaurant, there was just different kinds of macaroni and cheese with different varieties. I would my my enthusiasm for macaroni and cheese goes down. I I feel like you're you're only eating at McDonald's and you're complaining about the lack of variety on the McDonald's menu. And you're and you're banging your fist on the table saying there's not enough variety. Yeah. Everything comes out tasting like a cheeseburger. You put, can put some special sauce on it or call it a McRib and it's still going to taste like a McDonald's cheeseburger. Yeah. And you're like why can't we have better food yeah and i'm like here to tell you there's way better food yes <laughs> you just have to go to a different restaurant yeah you just have to like you're looking for variety in summer action blockbusters yeah and what you've found is that there's a commonality between summer action blockbusters that mm-hmm. is going to produce a lot of sameness and what you need to like broaden your horizon a little bit in this at least in the scope of this argument because there's a ton of like weird genre movies that are out there that oh. get produced every year that yeah. break the formula that yeah. are incredibly good and like provide a start for all sorts of weird directors. Well, isn't and... that Scorsese's argument though? Yeah, that's that's what I was getting is to. That is that he crowds it, out yeah. those things crowd out the hundreds of movies 
any you know dozens of which could get us get a spot in those theaters in 2500 screens but don't because they get crowded out that's that's the yeah. sort of argument and i i guess i'm trying to look at it because i think what we have here is a lack of vocabulary because i think what people hear is he says marvel movies aren't cinema and that's when people stop listening to his argument it doesn't matter that he's not taking shots at him and scorsese does say it's like hey those are well made i think they're incredibly well shot and blah 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 blah. but he says they're not cinema and that's when people stop listening and i think that well from a, a another standpoint we could say the difference between literature and pulp that these are two different things and one of them isn't good and one of them isn't bad but they have two completely different aims in terms of what they're trying to make that you know like the lord of the rings is literature and conan the barbarian is pulp even though a lot of commonalities and sort of setting and things like that and i think you're i don't know that i agree with that statement but i understand the point you're making okay well and and I can um, I can define those two if you want so that it doesn't sound insulting because that's no, I don't no, intend not, it to be. No, I don't. I'm I know. You, yeah, I'm not worried about the specifics of the examples that you. Oh, okay, uh, so I would define you know I'm, literature. I say it's also Scorsese cinema. I it, would say that it's it like sounds the, like we're having the same film versus movie debate that I that we beat to death on message boards in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, probably. It's, I, it could be sort of similar, but I guess I I want to define myself a little bit so that people don't think I'm just repeating that. I'd say literature is a sort of art where the the themes the the messages the the artistry of the creation of it is sort of the point of it evoking emotional response from it is the primary thing i'd say pulp primarily um those elements can be in it but they are not the primary focus of the work where the primary focus of the work is usually the the action the sex maybe the lurid elements um melodrama cliffhangers it's it's about exciting and fun is sort of the point and if we can have it's it's the difference between you know what is the entree and what is the side dish and i'd say that mm-hmm. the exciting the exciting pulpy stuff can be in literature the same way that the thematic philosophical stuff can be in pulp but what is the why is this thing exist which half of that equation is why this thing exists and is it built to be sort of exciting and sexy and and shocking, or is it designed to be this thoughtful, you know, philosophical question about I don't know, like the prison system or something? And depending on what, and you can do bet in both of those sorts of things. Like I think that, um, like Paul Verhoeven movies are kind of like stealth. It's like getting it's like those uh, chicken nuggets they give to kids that. They get them to eat it, but it's got a serving of vegetables inside of it. That's what a Paul Verhoeven movie. It's got a little chunks of literature in it, but it hits it hard. It hits the pulp button real fucking hard. And you're seeing, you know, RoboCop blow a guy away and another guy get covered in toxic waste. But you're also learning about the privatization of public services at the same time. <laughs> so it's all kind of there. And it isn't that RoboCop is bad and this hard, you know, serious sci-fi is good. It's not that at all. I love both of these things. I mean, I mean, we have an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast for Christ's sakes, but I think that's what what uh, what Scorsese sort of talking about, which is that the 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 theme park ride, as he calls it, style of movie is is taking up all the oxygen, and he can't go to the theater and see the kind of movies that made him fall in love with movies anymore, which I think is fine because I think it would be kind of interesting to see what what you know. You know, because we've heard of, and we've seen the Academy Awards, which is already, who cares a fuck about the Academy Awards? But um, 
the sort of separation that exists now that didn't always exist between what is a critic's movie and what is a fan's movie. And I think the worst people on the internet just keep driving a wedge into that where, you know, it's like there used to be a time when something like say the Lord of the Rings or Jaws was nominated for best picture. And I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know. I don't want to shit on it, but it feels like the blockbusters from 30 years ago are different than blockbusters now where it feels like they were building the track that we've just gotten down to a science now. And I kind of want them to redesign tracks for blockbusters and do something interesting again. They felt like they were weirder. And I, don't, not necessarily may, I don't know. I think blockbusters are just going to be the, the shit that I've just talked about, the Tomorrow Wars and the Army of the Dead, and they're going to be on the streaming platforms. That's that's what I think it is. I, I think it's really, really unlikely that they're going to have... I mean, I just saw Fast and Furious 9, and I don't think there's, sadly, Mike, I don't think there's too much life left in Fast and the Furious franchise, unfortunately. Yeah, I've been feeling that too since, I think 7 was probably the, the, the crest of that wave, and it's been crashing and drifting out there <laughs> since. But yeah, I but I like I said, I think... But again, that's pure, yeah. that, that is a series that is pure fucking pulp. Oh yeah. To, even to the degree that even part 6 is about uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character getting amnesia and working with the bad guy team until her love for Dom pulls her memory out of her and she remembers who she is <laughs> and remembers her family. I mean, that's pure soap opera pulp and I fucking love it, but um, <laughs> there's only a point you can't maintain that past a certain point. I don't know if there's anything that can be inexhaustible as a franchise. I think everything eventually gets to... Kind of the place where we're going to be bluntly like Terminator or Aliens is, where I don't think there's a lot gas left in that tank. I don't know what they could... They'd have to do something radically different, which is at odds with treating it as a precious franchise. I think I think if you're going to take this argument beyond tilting at windmills, I okay. think you need to like start supporting those movies where where they are. Yeah. And and making an effort to see and promote those movies when they're in, the, in a theater. And... We're on a podcast talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. And maybe we should also have a podcast about talking about weird independent movies that are yeah. coming out. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm all I, for I don't know about, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, not signing, I'm not just saying we need sure. to sign us all up for to do another podcast. Or, or, no, I think we can do it. We, we have our single serving episodes, and that's the perfect place to do But what you're talking that. about yeah. is that those movies kind of take up all the space. Mm hmm. And the the way around that is not to complain about those movies taking up those that space because that's just those movies filling up even more space. Mm -hmm. It's to create space for the other movies that are out there. They're just not getting the attention that you you feel like they deserve. Okay, yeah. the, here's the, here's mine. Here is my salve. Here is my antidote. Uh, Paper Tigers. It's a movie that came out just this year. Have it's, you seen it yet? It, I have. It's great. Um, oh, good. It is about three. Uh, middle-aged guys who were promising young kung fu, uh, competitive kung fu martial artists, and who have now had to get on with their life. And their master, Shifu, that's apparently how you say master in Ch in Chinese, I know now from this movie, um, is murdered at the beginning by a rogue student who has learned the touch of death. And it's a movie about three middle-aged guys trying to get back to where they were as late teens to avenge the death of their master and it's fantastic it is it has all it, it has every joke that you could imagine that people who have loved kung fu movies and who have now graduated into this era where kung fu movies aren't really don't really exist in that way they're overblown 
sort of big Chinese martial arts spectacles or they're like the the Jason Bourne-esque sort of American stuff that just don't really fit. And this is somehow a, a send-up, but also sort of a faithful kind of a kung fu movie. Um, it is also the only movie that I've ever watched that has successfully inserted the Konami code into dialogue and did it well. <laughs> so I don't know. It kind of snuck up on me and I was like, whoa, what did you just do? Paper Tigers is definitely worth a rental for sure. That's my oh, recommendation. I'm glad to hear that because I love the trailer. I think you're the one who told me about it. And I do. I think there's a lot of things like that. Um, I think the only... I, I think there's been a kind of a rising wave of kind of weird lower... And it's weird to say that because we're still talking about movies that would have been expensive movies 30 years ago, um, action or independent movies. Like John Wick is a strange movie mm-hmm. that w- it's remarkably gotten two sequels. But I think what makes it kind of special versus a bunch of other action movies is that it's a movie specifically made by stunt people who are making things to their taste, getting the sort of martial arts and stunt actors that they love and getting an excuse to put them all in one place. And Keanu's mm-hmm. kind of an anomaly because he's like a big name actor who is just all in on learning how to do this stuff. Well, the, and those those kind of movies are an anomaly because just like I said, the tradition of like the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie or whatever from the 90s has now rolled forward into this really, really... Uh, it's irksome. I I don't I don't like it. There's like Scott Adkins is sort of the guy who is the pinnacle of sort of the DTV sort of hard action movies right now. And I think they're usually really poorly produced. They the acting is terrible and they're they're poorly written, but they have like they I guess is like a, this is like a red box of phenomenon, right? Yeah. Where they just have to be just good enough. Um and Scott Adkins is fantastic. He's like, he's, I think he's going to be in John Wick 4, but he's just the right kind of guy who can do all of the choreography and it looks great. But anytime the movie has to slow down to tell a story, it's like, it's, you know, you could drive a truck through the silences in some of those scenes. You know, you're just like, what is, this guy cannot carry a movie, but he's better than the other people. And John Wick is fantastic because it stands out from all of the other people who are trying to make hard action movies and don't seem to be in it does it better than just sort of your standard direct tv middling just good enough well i think it's more than just a movie that has spectacle i think it's also a movie where there's a craft and it's specifically Mm -hmm. the craft of fight choreography stunts and also wanting to sort of stretch like in john wick 3 they're like you know we've never done any dog stunts or horse stunts in this series yet so let's have an excuse i mean the movie is sort of kind of reverse engineered to be about this very pure action thing. The plot to John Wick largely doesn't matter. I I love those movies, but I don't love them because I'm obsessed with the lore or the backstory. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, I'm there because there's a scene where a, a dog jumps off someone's back up to a high level and then attacks a guy. A scene where John Wick uses a horse to attack somebody where he fights like a basketball player in a library. It's just they find ways of taking something that as an industry has gotten fairly samey, which is fight scenes, and find all the novelty they can wring out of it and all the stuff that they find interesting and exciting 
and they want to try new things and they have all these hidden talents and they know all these people who aren't A-list actors, but are incredible uh, fight choreographers and stunt people. And that becomes sort of the point. It's the same reason you watch a Jackie Chan movie. That's It's a yeah. craft. You want to see somebody do something physically amazing on screen. And yeah, you kind of actually for a Jackie Chan movie, you just don't care about the story. There is a veneer of a story and you just want to see what kind of wacky shit he's going to yeah, get himself that, into. That Jackie Chan yeah. himself. It's the same with Arnold a lot of ways, which is the character of Jackie Chan. I might as well just name him Jackie Chan. And he just is recast as a different person in these movies. And he has this amazing boyish charm and he does incredibly crazy like Buster Keaton martial arts. And it's amazing and that's why you watch the movie the same way i watch a donnie yen movie it's not really necessarily the plot i want to see him do something spectacular and the john wick movies sort of remind me of that where i'm seeing somebody apply a physical skill in a way that excites me because a lot of action movies nowadays are not necessarily they're made with people who are taught how to do some choreography but there's a lot of quick cuts and stunt actors and stuff like that. And that doesn't make it bad, but it's a different animal. And when I get a lot of that over and over again, seeing something like, you know, John Wick or um, something like Atomic Blonde or something like that suddenly becomes exciting and dangerous feeling again. And I, it's not that I want everything to be this now. It's, I want a little bit of this. I want a little bit of that. I want, some movies, and I really, maybe I'm just getting old, but movies where people walk around slowly and they have long conversations and regret things. I want more of those movies. <laughs> um, I, I want all sorts of stuff. Um, and I love seeing it in the theater, too. Yeah. I don't want to only watch these kind of movies on streaming or have to hunt them down because... I don't even know where to find them. It's, oh, it's on that streaming service I'm not subscribed to. Can I rent it through YouTube or whatever? It's just, or Google Play Store. I don't know sometimes. Like, I really want to see Paper Tigers, but I don't necessarily know where to find it. And that's frustrating to me. Where when everything was in the theater, at least I knew that there was this one building in town that if I was going to see a movie, I would probably see that one. And maybe I have to drive to a similar building 30 minutes away. But it was kind of at least I knew that I, I knew I could just drop money somewhere and and see it and see it on a decent screen with a good good sound system and maybe share that experience with other people. And that's what the fun part about watching John Wick in the theater is that you gasp at the same time other people gasp and it yeah. becomes sort of this communal experience. I, I haven't seen a horror movie in theater since Midsommar, so... That would have been two years ago, and I that's I watch I now watch a lot more horror, and actually horror is a good spot too for what you were talking about. Warb mm -hmm. is like they that is the place where people who are really just trying to string together the beginning of a filmmaking career um, start sometimes start through horror because well, there's a market for that. There's yeah. a huge market for people. Low people horror. will go and pay the same amount of money they would for a Marvel movie mm -hmm. to watch a you know you to watch make, a Bloomhouse. You movie. can make a low budget drama on a similar budget and have yeah. that movie where you have people walking and having long conversations. Mm -hmm. And there's there's not a rabid fan base of genre yeah. fans for um, you know drama movie. You know, but the, yeah. there's a difference movies. in that horror movies is that horror movies feel so different to like just like a comedy they feel so different when you're in a theater with you're, the low budget other gives people. you the chance to make those risks yeah. though too yeah. and i think with a low budget horror because you talk about that rabid fan base it gives it an opportunity to actually be in the theaters like i think about like indie movies of the past five or six years that i saw 
Um, most of them that I saw that were strange and I didn't really know about tended to be horror movies, like probably more than half. And occasionally you'd see something really spectacular. We should do a single serving on the movie uh, Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. That is that is a great movie. It's sort of a kaiju movie as the side dish, but the main dish is his sort of interpersonal drama and dealing with toxic friendships. And it's like really, really good and fucking strange. And... um. That's I want to see more of that kind of stuff. Not like exactly like that, but another different thing. Not the same different thing until it's no longer different. Um, there is one thing I did want to talk to you guys about. And it's, I mean, this is pretty stone cold news. This is not exactly coming right off the news ticker. Uh, but I became aware of it like last month or maybe the month before. And it's been sticking in my brain ever since. I mean, I think there's a growing sense as as I look at sort of internet nerd fandom that I I like all the same things that these people like, but apparently not in the same way. I think I might be a different species. So when I see somebody watch like a trailer for a new Star Wars movie and like Luke Skywalker shows up and they're in their reaction videos on YouTube, they burst into tears and I just I don't understand these people. I real I mean I understand it's like, oh that's neat. This is why I could never do reaction videos because it would be mostly me sitting there and going, huh, hmm, hmm. It wouldn't be like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's a Millennium Falcon. I mean, I I just, I don't get it. I mean, one, it's a commercial, and I don't think, I've only cried at one movie trailer, and I hate it. I hate this fucking, it's, <laughs> it was the- Dog's tr- Purpose? It was A Dog's Journey Home. Oh, yeah, yeah. The most emotionally manipulative <laughs> fucking trailer I've ever seen. I was so angry. It knew the buttons to push and it pushed them. It's a lost animal trying to find, trying to find home. It is the the most. I mean, those things are pretty much churned out. I mean, they put a block of play doh in one eye and they grind it, and then dog's purpose <laughs> comes out the other side. Um, but I was so I'm like, how fucking dare you, movie? You do not deserve my tears. How I'm like. Ugh. <laughs> it's like fuck you, fuck you. Anyways, um. That's the one I'd never release that video because I was like, that's just embarrassing. It just shows, I guess it's just, it's like that, you know, propaganda works on everybody. This is just evidence of it. It's like, you can, it doesn't matter how girded I am against this. There are certain things that can get under that farce field. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) Careful. You're going to start like crying at overly sensitive (laughs) vacuum cleaner commercials or something. (laughs) Um, There was uh, this video that somebody had put up a while ago. And it led to this just internet rabbit hole for me, trying to figure this shit out. Okay, so I'm an old man, and I have no idea what TikTok is, but I understand it's like shorter YouTube. Um, and there was this guy who I guess was a TikTok star, and he had been fired from Walt Disney World <sighs> that he had previously... Yes, that you knew we were talking about the same guy. Um because he was doing uh, TikTok videos where he would go around the park, uh, drink water, and rate that water's quality on a scale from 1 to 10. And most of the time this is okay because he'd go into like a restaurant that was on the premises of the park and go, oh, 5.5 out of 10 at, at this chicken restaurant. Or, oh, went into the movie theater. That was actually pretty good. And this is where it gets real fucking weird because he starts drinking out of the public fountains. 
Yeah. So we're talking about not like water fountains, but I'm talking like the big stone fountains that are in public areas that children put their sticky fingers in, oh, that adults probably rest their weary feet in, that people are throwing <laughs> pennies in, that have a statue of Mickey or Ariel from The Little Mermaid on the top. And he's drinking it. And unsurprisingly, those fountains did not rate high on a scale from 1 to 10. I think, oh, 0. 0.5. And I'm like, 1, what do you expect? And 2, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, are you trying to give yourself some strange disease? It, it's like it's like the Tide Pod things, Mike. There's no, You hit the nail on the head, Mike, because you talked about before of the people who film themselves doing these really over-the-top reactions mm-hmm. to trailers that you and I would be just like, we would blink. That would be our reaction. Yeah. It's a performative mode. It's a pose. And yes, the guy who is going to give himself Legionnaire's disease because he's drinking out of the fountain at Walt Disney World, he's doing it for the subscribers, I suppose. But I mean, it's a poor life choice. It's a very poor life choice. And it's... it's, and, a, it's and, he's and already woe, paid for it. He got fired for doing well, this. And woe to all of the people who support him by subscribing to him and inflating his numbers on whatever social media platform. Don't encourage that. <laughs> yeah. Don't encourage someone to put their body in jeopardy by, you know, ingesting God knows what it's, it's weird for your entertainment. I think toxic fandom can kind of come in two varieties. There's harm to other people and then there's harm to yourself. And harm to other people is like what happened to Kelly Marie Tran after The Last Jedi came out, where right. you act, you just like, I love this thing so much, I'm going to ruin somebody's life. And then this is, I love this thing so much, I'm going to kill myself. And I feel like you know this is something that potentially moves on that end of the spectrum, where it's like that scene in Red Dragon where the killer like eats that painting he's obsessed with. <laughs> like, I must have this inside of my body. I... And so eventually this guy, the, the end of this video, his TikTok, is him sitting in his car holding back tears because Disney security, he kept, after getting fired, he, of course he's obsessed with Disney, so he keeps going back to Disney parks, and they finally just give him a, a lifetime ban from Walt Disney Parks. And he's almost crying, and I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? That you have over a million views on some of these things? And you're drinking out of their fountains, and you might start a creepy, toxic Disney fandom thing. And Disney already is a company that really pushes a relationship, that sense of a parasocial relationship with its fans. Mm -hmm. Like, they want you to feel like this company is a member of your family. And, my God, these people going into the park, it's like, he doesn't, they don't, they clearly don't want them to start a thing Mm -hmm. with drinking out of these fountains. And I'm the last person to to side with Disney lawyers on anything. I think we're talking about some of the most evil people on the planet that don't actually have a body count. I mean, Disney lawyers sued the parents of a kid who had died of cancer because that kid wanted Spider-Man on his headstone. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about like straight up rolled doll villains. And I can't fault them for banning this guy because this is fucking weird. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the action that you would hope any employer would take, regardless of whether it's a Disney or Marvel or, you know, whoever it is. But I w- want to take a step back and and say that I don't feel like this, 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 uh, vi- these videos he was making was born out of his fandom or his love for Disney. He didn't love so Dis- he didn't love Disney so much that he wanted to drink their piss. <laughs> he, he wanted this is a lot more in line with like the. the Jackasses on Jackass. That was and, just what I was going to say. And he's yeah. doing a, he's doing stunts for for views, 
and he's doing it for likes and he's doing it for attention. And that's not to say that like doing something for attention is bad. We're on a podcast here yeah. for attention, uh, but it's it, it's he's doing the the bare minimum to uh, to attract attention and just finding a niche, that, finding something that nobody else in their right mind would do. Yeah, I don't know. And, how do you feel morally? I mean, you're right. How do you feel morally about Jackass? What do you feel about the people who do it and and their fandom who I would, watch it and support them? I would say less good every year that goes by. That. Oh, you talked about this with Fight Club at the same time. Is that there are certain things that become novel and exciting, and they seem transgressive and exciting when you're 20, but they kind of get sad as you get older. I think 25 is the age where that starts to turn. It's the same way of like getting so drunk that you wake up on the floor. Um, you're like whoa, or getting into getting drunk and getting into a fight. Mm. 25 is this hard line. Where it goes from being, oh my God, can you believe what happened? To, oh my God, I'm a sad person. <laughs> and this is this is reflecting poorly on me and my life choices. And this is going to have some impact on my body. Uh, this guy in the video, though, is remarkably young. He's like 20-something. So that lifetime ban means more to him than if like Henry Kissinger had been banned from Disney. Because <laughs> he's probably, I don't know, maybe Henry Kissinger will outlive us all, that evil son of a bitch. If, if people take the souls of every person they've had a hand in killing, that guy will be immortal. Um, <laughs> but I just wonder, though, how safe is it to drink out of a fountain? Because I kept wondering, are fountains chlorinated? And even then, I think, that just makes I think some... they are to a certain degree because if people put their hands in it. Probably a liability thing. Uh, I'm fairly certain they're all chlorinated. So in that respect, they probably shouldn't have like... It's like some kind of terrible of a, parasite in it, like a public pool. Yeah. And and again, this is this is a place is going to show this video to Piper, and I know how Piper feels about public pools, <laughs> and about she has a very 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 detailed analysis of what bodies of water she will and will not go into. She does not like lakes because it doesn't have an outlet, so she is convinced there are definitely statistically dead bodies at the bottom. We're talking like the origin of Friday the Thirteenth. There is a Jason <laughs> down there. Uh, this is how you get a Jason. Uh, as you swim in that lake. Uh, but she does not like public pools. And I, I wrote this down because uh, I want to get this right. This is how she described public pools. She called them, they are like a human soup of Band-Aids and pee. Um, That's disgusting. Yeah. And I just keep thinking about that and just how many tourists every day walk through uh, a Walt Disney World park. I mean, you're in the middle of Florida you're you're walking around all day because if you go to a Disney park, it it is an all day event. It's like it's like a D and D campaign where it's like this is what I'm doing today. This is all I'm doing today, and that's a lot of sore, hot, sweaty feet. That I guarantee you go into that, and somebody's like, "Oh God, my dogs are killing me," and into the into the fountain, <laughs> and I'm just thinking how many feet went through that fountain, but and then passed through this guy. I mean, literally, I mean, literally, if you're talking statistically, all water on Earth has been dinosaur pee at some point. But still, um, at least that dinosaur pee is way better filtered than that Disney fountain. <laughs> I don't have anything more to say about it other than uh, what is this guy going to be doing in five years? He's probably not going to be go around drinking other fountains if he somehow spins from this. It'll be some some other you know, he'll he'll be hosting the same thing on VH1 that Mark McGrath host hosted or whatever in the 2000s. It'll be that kind of shit. I like, hope I, I don't I just it, it, even Jackass had 
some more sort of cultural legs that went other places because arguably there's other people have it other talents other than just injuring myself for laughs you yeah know? i don't think that i don't i don't know this guy but he doesn't seem very talented to me oh wow i i don't want to speak ill of the guy i haven't watched anything other than a video that made him look pretty bad yeah um, i i don't know who he is well, just... well hopefully he is also not going to be defined by he's this also for like his whole life 23 years old yeah. and I don't think you should judge anyone's totality of who they are by the... No. I'm going to guess we were all much stupider people when we were 23 years old, and we did not have the... I'm not going to call it the benefit of, I would say the detriment of being able to share our stupidity with millions of people and the enabling that comes from people who cheer you on for doing stupid things for their temporary amusement, but it's sort of part of your internet permanent record forever. And I'm sad about that. I, I I want to believe that in five years he's going to shake his head at that and go, my God, I hope this doesn't come up in a job interview or something. <laughs> because he's so young. Mm-hmm. And this is just, it's his number one internet search. And that's like part of applying for jobs now is they basically stalk you on the internet first. And, oh. and, and having been not only fired but banned by a former employer yeah and then to have that be so high high profile that it's yeah forever attached to your permanent record that do, do you guys internet. remember in 2004 after george w bush was reelected, that there was a brief like flash in the pan meme of people taking pictures of themselves that said like we're sorry world or something yeah. this is where, does this ring a bell i'm not sure exactly yeah i remember this so there was like a website and it was like people that were trying to reassure the rest of the world that we weren't Please all don't kill bigots. Us. Yeah, we weren't all just bigots. Um, I met the guy who started that website, and uh, uh, this was like probably in the late aughts. I, I met him, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I." And he did internet stuff as his gigs from there on out. And he's like, "Yeah, I, I have lost a lot of jobs because of that." So. Even someone who just who's doing it like uh, oh it's a lark it's a thing of the moment yeah that follows you for the rest of your life it has it, it can have deleterious effects on your career for so sure are we saying the internet was a pet idea because <laughs> it feels like it, it feels like it's an almost even split sometimes between isn't it amazing that you can talk to people and experience things and see and read things that you wouldn't have otherwise and that people can get their art out and find an audience that they never would have had but it's also like the worst thing that we've ever done. (laughs) And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't. It's just us, Mike. The internet is just an extension of us. So what you say about the, the, what you say about the internet is, is by the transitive property is what you say about humanity. So, you know, the good and the bad. The good, for example, podcast La Vista Baby. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Clearly this is the, the height of human achievement. (laughs) You take the good, you take the bad. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.
by Disney. I'm going to try to spend Adam very quickly without yelling or crying. So I'm going to Grand Floridian to get food. As soon as I get there, I'm sitting in the parking lot. For five minutes, Disney security is circling my car. I'm like, this is sus, but what's the worst that's going to happen? The worst happened. As soon as I get in the car, Orange County Police Department pulls up. Hi, J We have a trespass warning for you from Disney. You're no longer allowed on property. Then four customers, two guys in suits, a security guard, and a Disney investigator. I didn't even know those existed. All come up. They're like, hey, we're here to tell you like what's going on. Like, fill out paperwork for you. Thank you. I can... I can kind of figure it out. Then they're like, hey, also, just, just to add insult to injury, it's a lifetime ban. I can never go back to Disney. Ever. And just, just to add insult to injury, Disney security then followed me home. Just to make sure I really left. 